Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today we are here to talk about shame. Don don don. All right, shame is not the most fun topic or thing to think about or experience, but it is really important for us to talk about because shame is definitely a tool that is used by the enemy to keep us in a place of feeling negatively about ourselves and in a place of hiding and in a place of not being able to fulfill the calling and purpose God has put on our lives. I recently had something happen where I felt shame. And so this topic has been pretty near and dear to my heart this week. And I want to really dig into this because I definitely see this happening to a lot of women and I've experienced it myself. And I think that it is something that we need to be free from. So let's go ahead and dig right in. Hey, Millennial, welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what He has to say through studying His words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Catherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's Word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at Scripture, beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate creator and hoping for some good old-fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for how you set us free. Thank you that we are to live lives that are purposeful and that are meaningful and that are in alignment with you. And thank you that you love us so much that you lift us out of shame and out of darkness and into your brilliance, into your light, that you love us beyond our capacity to understand and that you have so much more for us than we could possibly imagine. I pray that you would lift the shame off of every woman here and that we would realize that it is a tool of the devil and that we would be free from it in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. First, let's talk about shame as opposed to guilt. Now, guilt is like, oh, I did something wrong. Okay, made a mistake. All right, I feel guilty. I'm able to come before God, repent of that thing and move on. Okay, guilt could be like, oh, I feel convicted. Oh, I'm sitting in church and I heard something and oh man, that's something I really struggle with. Okay, it doesn't mean like I'll never struggle with it again, but I can bring it before God and feel that freedom from the guilt. Guilt and shame are two different things. When I'm talking about shame today, I'm talking about the kind of thing that makes it so that you feel like you can't even be free of it ever. (laughs) Shame is something where you feel stuck, like you're stuck in a sense of darkness and that you can't even come before God because you just feel so horrible inside, that you just feel so beyond redemption, that it just nags and nags and nags at you as something that you cannot let go of. That is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about shame. I'm not talking about the things that make us guilty and make us repent. It's two distinct things here. Shame tends to stick around a lot longer and it keeps us in a place of wanting to be hidden as opposed to 
being able to expose that thing to the light and being able to experience the freedom God has for us. Now, like I said, I have experienced shame recently, and this is not the only time in my life I felt shame, but I want to point out that a lot of times when we have shame, it's because there's something else rooted deep inside of us that this event or this choice that we made, it like triggers or hits on that thing that, that belief we already had about ourselves. And so it like attaches, like the circumstance attaches onto that false belief we have about ourselves. And then it makes us feel so much shame that we want to hide. And so everyone has different triggers. Mine happens to be like making mistakes or feeling like I did something wrong or feeling like, especially when it comes to financial decisions, like I'm not smart enough. So what happened was, there was a high stakes financial decision and there was something I didn't know I had to do. Like I just genuinely didn't know about it and it could have affected us financially if I had not corrected the mistake. It ended up coming to resolution. I know it's so easy to talk about after I'm like, oh yeah, it was totally solved and we were able to correct the mistake. But I want to explain that in the midst of that, before the mistake was corrected and it wasn't actually that big of a deal. Before that happened, before that was resolved, I went down a shame spiral, okay? And I experienced shame for about 24 hours in a very dark way. And I think sometimes shame can happen like really intensely like that for us in a shorter period of time, like 24 hours. And sometimes we feel shame about things that happened like 10 years ago. And the thing about shame is it's not always something that we did wrong. The feeling of shame is so much bigger than the event itself. It can be something that was done to us that we feel shame for. Okay, so it's not even like a sin that you committed all the time. That's not always what shame means. It can also be something that someone did to us that we feel shame about. Or it could be a sin another person committed against us. Like if someone said something mean about us, and then we feel shame about that later. When that has happened to me in the past, that is not my sin. That person saying that negative thing about me, that's their sin. But I feel shame about it. Shame is not always connected with doing something wrong. And in this case, I wasn't doing something sinful. I just made an honest mistake. So let's talk about the shame spiral. I'm just going to describe to you my personal shame spiral. And I think it does mirror shame spirals I've heard from other people. So see if you can relate. This is how mine went. First, when I heard about the mistake I made, I went into a sense of panic and fear. My brain could not connect with coherent thoughts. I just had all this sense of like, oh my gosh, everything's wrong. Like, like my brain going and going and panicking, panicking, and all the fears start to come up. And that thought goes through my mind of, I did something wrong. I made a mistake. I screwed this up. Right. And all these like panic thoughts come up. Then my brain goes to constant thoughts of how doomed my future is. So I go through every single negative scenario of how this will ruin my entire life and maybe my husband's life as well. I'll go into all of it, but that's where my brain goes. I'm like, we're going to lose everything. Everything's going to go wrong. Uh, we are going to be ruined. Like our daughter's not going to have a place to live. Uh, we're not going to be able to afford food for ourselves. Like my brain goes dark and into the most negative scenarios I could possibly think of that. It's kind of like almost a punishment for my mistake. I'm like punishing myself for it by thinking of all these negative scenarios. Okay, next, I usually go into a state of crying and tears, usually a lot of crying and tears. And then I start to go into shameful thoughts about myself. So all these negative scenarios are like swirling around my in my mind. 
And then I'm like, oh, I'm stupid. I'm worthless. I'm not smart enough. I'm a horrible mother. I'm a bad wife. I'm not financially savvy. All these things swirl around my brain. Next, (laughs) I go into what I call Google time. So Google time is like frantically searching the internet to learn the extent of what will go wrong and how I can fix the issue, right? So I'm sitting there going, all right, Google, like worst case scenario of what can happen as a result of this. So this actually just like feeds back into what I was doing before, which is thinking of all the negative scenarios that could happen. Well, now I'm actively Googling those scenarios and seeing how much worse I can make this in my brain. How much more terrible could the consequences of this mistake lead me to? Okay, after I do all the Googling, then I start to seek affirmation from other people or try to research other people who have made similar mistakes and been okay. So it's kind of like I start to want other people to feed into this. I want other people to tell me it will be okay. So I've already dredged up the worst of it. And now I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm stuck in this state of like everything's terrible. So I need someone to come in and tell me it's not going to be terrible. Then I start to rationalize, rationalize everything. Then I start to believe that I'll never get past this and I'm never going to have a day when this one thing doesn't completely consume my thoughts. I am always going to have shame about this. That's, that's kind of the idea I start to get in my mind. Then I try to rush to a resolution. Okay. So every moment starts to feel really painstaking for me while this issue is not resolved until I can correct this mistake or until I can do X, Y, Z until I do this thing. I will not feel better. So I have to rush to this resolution. A lot of times we make mistakes in trying to do that as well. And then this whole time I am avoiding God. Like the last place I want to go when I'm feeling shame is go to God. I just want to like hide within myself. I want to ignore the world and I want to ignore God. If anything, I want other people to affirm me, but I don't want to go before God because I'm worried about being accepted. Eventually though, I get to this point where I start to pray for rescuing. So if you ever get to like this panic point where you're like, God, help me, help me, help me. Like I need you to save me. I need you to come in. I need you to fix this. That's usually where I get to. Then I withdraw and start to feel really alone. I feel like my friends and family will reject me. I am beyond redemption. And that's the place the devil wants us where we have completely isolated us from friends and family and that we think they'll never accept us. And in fact, in that phase, when I'm trying to get affirmation from other people, a lot of times, even if they say things that are affirming, I still self-isolate. I don't believe them. I think to myself, they're just saying that to make me feel better. They don't really believe that about me. They really believe those negative things I was just thinking. Like I'm stupid. I'm worthless. I'm not smart enough. They believe those things too. That's what I start to think. Maybe not like fully consciously, but that's the underlying belief. That's where the devil wants us, my friends, in a place where we are isolating from God. Maybe we're panic praying, but we're not truly trying to ask him for affirmation or anything like that. We're just asking him to like rescue us. And that's not a bad thing at all. A lot of times we're trying to just ask him to save us without fully connecting with him and letting him into our situation, totally exposing ourselves to God. And when we isolate from others and we isolate from God, we're not going to be able to do the things that we are called to do. We're not going to be able to live the life that God has for us. We live in shame instead. Shame tries to disqualify us. 
It tries to take away our purpose. Tell us we can't fulfill that purpose anymore. We're not good enough. Our mistake was too big. It has too many worldly consequences. Our circumstances will never allow us to do this purpose anymore because of this shameful thing. Friends, don't we know that we're already saved by God? Don't we already know that if we committed a sin, we can repent and God is good to forgive us through Jesus Christ? We know these things, but shame tries to disqualify us, tells us, no, this sin is too big. It has too big of consequences. Our purpose is gone. God can't possibly use me in the way that I I was meant to be used now. Shame also tries to distract us with negative thoughts instead of helpful and productive thoughts. So instead of trying to like take a step back and fully understand the situation, instead of trying to see how things really are and not just how they kind of appear in our narrow shame-filled kind of spiral, we get stuck on these negative thoughts of I'm stupid, I'm worthless, whatever, you fill in the blank for you. Those are just the ones I tend to go through. Everybody has different ones that they tend to go to. And all these negative thoughts, all these bad scenarios in our mind, all these doomsday consequences that we have in our brains, they're all a distraction. So instead of moving forward with our lives, moving forward into the purpose that we're here for, instead of being able to be there and make space available for other people and to make space available for ourselves and healing, we have all these angry, negative, sad, whatever thoughts in our brains that are distracting. Like I said before, shame tries to alienate us. It tells us that nobody understands me. Nobody will ever accept me. No one will ever love me. No one will ever want to be close with me again because of this shameful thing. When we go into that place of alienation, a lot of times it creates a distance between us and God and a distance between us and other people who can speak truth into our lives. So we hide instead of letting it be exposed. Because when we let it be exposed, it's scary because nobody will love me. God won't love me. God won't accept me. I've screwed up too big or this is too shameful of a thing. I'm not worthy. But you know what? If we stay in that place, if we stay in that place and we stay alienated and distanced, it is really hard for us to experience healing and move on from that shame. I also want to take a second to pause and just discuss a little bit about why shame happens. As I kind of mentioned before, shame is often triggered by things that happened in our childhoods. It's unresolved hurts or hurts that are not fully resolved that we had in the past. Often it's linked to childhood, but it could be something that is more recent even. When we experience the shameful thing or think of a shameful thing, we feel those triggers and then those thoughts come up. The thing that happened in your childhood that made you feel like you weren't worthy, that made you feel like you were wrong, that made you feel like you were gross, that made you feel like no one liked you, that made you feel like you were stupid, whatever the thing may be. And then we think that those things are true of ourselves. Our brain goes to that underlying belief of I'm stupid. I am unloved. I am garbage. Whatever your I am kind of statement is that you believe about yourself in these times. So it's like these things happen. And then when we think about them, we go to these underlying beliefs that we've had about ourselves for a long time. And we use it as almost evidence that those things are true when they're not actually true. 
And I also want to encourage you when you feel those triggers, when you feel those rush of emotions, it's really not good to suppress them. It's important to really feel the emotion and let it flow through you and just kind of notice where your brain is going. Track your thoughts. Where are they heading? What are the things you tend to believe? And then later, if you feel like you can, if you write them down, it can be really helpful to understand yourself and where your brain goes. And that can help you eventually lead to a place of healing. So later, once you've gotten the emotional space, we can cry out to God for the truth. We know the lie because the lie is there when we're triggered. The lie is there when we're feeling ashamed. It's our underlying thought. But when we cry out to God and we ask him for the truth, he will be faithful to give us that truth. He might give you that truth through speaking to you in your thoughts. He might give you that truth through reading his word in the Bible. It might be through songs. It might be through art and painting. It might be through thinking. It could be through nature. It could be through vision. God can speak to us in infinite ways. I don't even know all the ways. I'm just mentioning some ones that I've heard of before or experienced myself. But when we have the emotional space, when we've allowed ourselves to feel that, we can come to a place where we cry out to God for the truth. So how do we resolve the shame? Well, first and foremost, we bring the shame to God. Look, your shame is not shocking to him. Whatever happened to you or whatever it is you did, he already knows that. He already knows all the details of it. He knows all the motivations. He knows everything, every detail. And if there was a sin committed, we can actually repent and receive forgiveness from him. So that forgiveness can set us free from our shame. But even if a sin was committed against you and you were not the one that was committing the sin, regardless, we can ask him to replace the lies that we're believing with the beautiful truth he has for us that sets us free. We can write down those truths and we can rest in those things. And when those shameful thoughts come back up again, we can go back to those truths. That's why it's so important to write them down and put them somewhere visible for yourself. So you can keep going back to the truth over and over and over again. The truth is not that you are worthless. The truth is not that you are stupid. The truth is not that you are unworthy. The truth is that you have been claimed by God and called his daughter. The truth is that God loves you intensely, passionately. The truth is that God pursues you. He never lets you go. He never wants to let you out of his grasp. The most shameful thing that you have ever done or that has been done to you, he loves you and he will never walk away from you. Always he loves you. Listen, you are not defined by shame. When you're feeling shame, you often feel like it's the most important thing in the world, but you're not defined by that. You are defined by God, and only God can tell you who you are. He made you, and you are defined by your status as a co-heir with Christ. God is your father. He's your daddy, and you are a co-heir of everything, the full inheritance of Christ, of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to read chapter 8 of Romans. This is the, the scripture for today. This is one of my favorite chapters as a whole in the Bible. I have lots of favorites, actually, but this is one of the big ones. I think if you just really contemplate the words that are spoken here, you will see how God has set us free, how much he loves us, and how much you belong to him. 
So I encourage you to kind of close your eyes and just contemplate the words that God has spoken and written of you. The chapter before this, because I'm going to read all of Romans 8, Paul's talking about the war that's within us. There's this tension he describes between wanting to do good and still sinning and kind of being in that place where we feel like we can't stop. It's not who we are anymore, though, because in Romans 8, here's what he has to say. Verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare us, even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right, let's dig in a little here. That was a huge passage, but it is so worth it. Isn't it so beautiful? In the beginning there, it's talking about how there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Don't let sin and shame control your mind, friends. Focus instead on how loved and accepted you are by God. And I know that's not easy. I'm making it sound easy, and I know it's not. It's a process, and it takes a long time, and it will never fully be resolved till we're in heaven. But that doesn't mean we don't make intentional steps to let go of the sin and shame. Nothing can separate you from God's love. We are led by the Spirit and not the lies of the devil. We are God's adopted children and we are God's heir. You, my friend, are chosen. You are chosen by God. 
and he has adopted you into his family, and you are the sibling of Jesus and a co-heir. You are an heir to all of God's beautiful inheritance and all the lovely things that he has for us. In verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That is so comforting. It doesn't actually mean that we won't suffer or have hard things happen. It doesn't mean that we won't suffer consequences for our sin. It doesn't mean that our lives will just be beautiful and cheery all the time, (laughs) like everything will be perfect. It does mean, though, that God will work all things together for the good of those who love him, for us, and those that are called according to his purpose, right? So if we are living within the calling and purpose that he has for us, God will enable us, enable things to work out that we can fulfill our callings and purpose. If something shameful has happened to you or as a result of something you've done, you're not disqualified. God isn't surprised by that thing happening. You still have a purpose. God still has things for you. And in fact, that thing that happened, it might even make you uniquely qualified for your calling. So don't give up. Don't think you're out of the running. Don't think God's given up on you. He hasn't. That doesn't mean we don't have to work through all the like pain and suffering of shame. There's a lot of work that has to be done there usually. But it does mean that we're not done for. We still have something really beautiful up ahead. And God will work things together for the good of those who love him. I like that section two of chapter eight, where it's talking about how the Holy Spirit is helping us when we cry out to God. The Holy Spirit is with you. Even when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit advocates for you, helps you pray. The Holy Spirit lives within you and is living and active. You can rely on him to encourage you, to help give you wisdom and guidance, to help you discern the correct path forward, to give you the thoughts that God wants you to think instead of the thoughts the enemy wants you to think, to have the truth instead of the lies. And just remember, you're not condemned. You are not condemned. You are not left behind in your shame. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. You are forgiven. You are pure. And the pure love of the Father, the unadulterated love, the raw love of God is yours. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing that's been done to you and nothing that you've done. God loves you, my friend, and he loves me too. And that is something that we can rest in. So next time we're going through that shame spiral, it's okay to go through it. It's okay to just experience and observe and see where your mind goes. And then bring those thoughts before God. Ask the Holy Spirit to really tell you who you are. And we dwell on the thoughts that God gives us. And we have confidence that we are not disqualified, but he will qualify us and prepare us for the unique calling that he's given us. Let's pray. God, thank you that we don't have to live in shame. Never do we have to live in this darkness, this hopelessness, this sense that everything is wrong and we'll never feel better again. You are with us in that pain and you love us so intensely we don't even understand. We can't even describe it. It's beyond us. You don't want shame for us, God. You want us to live in your truth. You want us to live in close alignment with you. You have so much forgiveness and grace and mercy upon us. We are not condemned. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that we would believe that and you would set us free, every single woman listening. Set us free of our shame, God, and bring us into right relationship with you as we're intended to live. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining me. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.